I kind of just felt like I was seeing all this content that just didn't speak to me. And I, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't know, like, I'd rather do it instead of complain about it. And I just was festering. And I was like, there were, we're missing a mark. And especially for sports, I was like playing a lot of sports then, especially in like starting to play with new teams. And I just remember being like, none of the content that's coming out right now speaks to me. And I'm, a, I'm your, I'm your audience. Like I'll buy yeah. Nikes. I'll buy a deal. Like I'm, I'm it. Like mid twenties urban female yeah <laughs> like hit me you know yeah. and i was like all right like screw this and then that's when i made downtown girls b-ball hello and welcome to overshare a podcast where we have honest conversations with creative people we admire about the struggles that often come along with being a creative professional in a world of carefully curated portfolio sites and instagram feeds we try to get past those highlights and discuss the tough stuff we don't talk about in public often enough In this episode, you will learn about embracing the data of others as motivation and how to find happiness in small wins, especially when going through challenging times in your career. I'm your host, Justin Genak, and I'm also the co-founder of Working Not Working, a curated community that connects companies with the universe's most respected, most awarded, and hardest working creatives in advertising, design, production, and tech. Now, we really appreciate everyone who's supported us so far. We've been getting a lot of amazing messages from folks. So if you enjoy Overshare and have gotten anything out of it, please take a minute to rate and review us. It goes a long way in helping other people discover the podcast as well. Uh, you can also subscribe to get new episodes when they're released every two weeks. And if you're digging it, please send us a note on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Overshare Talks. We would definitely love to hear from you. Now, this is my in-studio conversation with film director and creative director, Elena Parasco. And I've known Elena for about a year now, and she's one of the most tenacious and resilient people I know. She makes shit happen. Even when everyone else or a lot of other people say no, uh, she doesn't let that stop her. Uh, She's only been directing for a few years now and is making films and work with brands like Nike, Air Jordan, Calvin Klein, ASAP Rocky, and Guest. And as you'll hear, Elena is relentlessly passionate about creating work that examines sport and play through the female gaze. Disrupting those kind of traditional cliche stereotypes of sports imagery that we're used to, to create work that is dynamic and with more accessible uh, female role models. This is an exciting time uh, in Elena's career to talk to her. While she's still hungry and still fighting to get her work out the way that she wants, this is just the start for Elena. She's got a lot of big things to come, and I'm really excited about this conversation, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Here's uh, my chat with Elena Parasco. Hi, Justin. How are you? I'm well. Are you? I'm a little tired, Uh but I'm doing well. You're doing well. Thank you. I'm going to do this interview really, like, I'm going to be my most polite self. There's no way that's happening. Uh, All right, so I'm going to ask you some easy ones just to get you out of your most polite self. What's your favorite curse word? Oh, yeah, you ask this a lot on this podcast. Yeah, I have some questions I ask everybody. When I did my research. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Honestly, I'm making, like, a valiant effort to stop cursing. Okay. And there's just so many words we could use, you know? So uh-huh. I'm really experimenting with that. But I would probably say fuck. Uh-huh. And if I could have used my phone just now to like bleep me out on purpose, I would have done that, but you're not giving me a second, you know? <laughs> All right. Uh, your favorite sport? Because I know you're a big sports fan. LOL. Love this question. Um, I would say today, basketball. Uh-huh. But I mean... There's just so many good ones. Like, how can you just... You, know? <laughs> you, you could pick one. All right, we'll stick with that. Okay. Uh, who's your favorite basketball player? Yo, number 33, Ewing. Ewing. You, you were, like, obsessed with Patrick Ewing when you were a kid, right? 
I just like I was blessed. I got to go to a lot of courtside games with my pops, and okay. I just remember staring up at him. And he was so tall, and he was so good, and he also just like played so confidently, and like but had this really laid back confidence about him. And I just was like, I want to be like that. Uh huh. So I wore his wristband a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was white. I think it was like black by the time I was fifteen. Yeah, like every day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where'd you grow up? You grew up near New York City. I am a Burbs kid. Uh-huh. I grew up in the suburbs. Uh-huh. Um, I grew up in Manhasset, and my parent, my dad's from Queens, and yeah, so we've been kind of like in New York. We're like a third generation New Yorker. We've been here for a while. Yeah. We actually had this uh, diner across from Lombardi's Pizza on Spring Street that like my dad like grew up going to. Uh-huh. That was really cool. I'm getting off topic already. No, no, it's good. Yeah. But New York, New York's a part of you. It's a part of me. It's oh, a part I of you. said yeah. it's a party. Yeah, like, well, it's also a party. Can be. Yeah. Uh, but so growing up in Long Island, uh, are your parents creative at all? Um, I mean, listen, my parents came from like a really like financial based sector. And so they weren't really creative. But my dad definitely was. He was always painting and... Um, had this amazing camera, was always taking photographs. He actually gave me my first camera and this Canon A1 from the 70s. And I still shoot with it today. And that's where most of my photographs come from. So like, I wouldn't say they were creative at all, but my <laughs> dad had this like really strong inclination towards creativity and art and sport especially as well. And so like that for sure, as I kind of like reflect back on my life as we do when we hit 30, <laughs> um, it really impacted me for sure. And but yeah, no, they weren't creative, and it's taken a while for them to like watch one of my pieces. Like, do they, yeah, do they get what you do? <laughs> they don't get it, but um, yeah, I wouldn't say they get it. I think they're still like waiting for this like phase to be over, <laughs> which like started when I was 11 and yeah. kind of kicked into gear in the last five years. And they're just like waiting, you know, they've, they've, de- I, they've definitely called it a phase as well. But I would say, um, like. Oh, man, just like, yeah, I wouldn't say they really understand it. But now my dad kind of, like, watches, like, he watched a trade hero for mine, the mm-hmm. ice hockey film, and he's like, yeah, man, <laughs> like, okay. I'll get those. Well, you're speaking his language because it's yeah. sports. Yeah, exactly. And, like, yeah. the, the the Nike locker talk piece, too, he's like, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he's just like, this one, that was cool. I'll take it, yeah. Yeah, take it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then did you grow up, was he like your coach when you, were, when you were playing sports as a kid and that? He wasn't my coach, okay. he, um, but he's the first person that taught me how to play. And we would practice, like, basketball before practice and after. Like, I loved it and willingly. Yeah. And he taught me all the moves because, you know, he had all these, like, moves from Queens growing up, which <laughs> don't, over, don't always, like, go over so well. And, like, this, like, little, like, uh, like 10-year-old Is chip. it like throwing an elbow? Oh, for sure. But, like, yeah. you throw the elbow <laughs> and then you put your foot out and then you push him over your foot. Like, stuff like that. It was bad. Yeah. <laughs> but he was just so, yeah, I mean, he wasn't my coach, but he definitely, like, he was, like, he could have been my coach for sure. Yeah. So, did you? You have siblings. I do. You know this. Uh, well, people to, listening. Um, yeah. Do people listen? <laughs> Hi guys. Uh, yeah, I have two sisters. I'm the middle child. <clears throat> middle child syndrome. Uh huh. I hope no one can hear me. Whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have an older <laughs> sister and a younger sister. Uh huh. And, and are, is are they into sports too? Or were you the the one that carried that torch? And and no, they they were all pretty into sports for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So just a sports-obsessed family. Yeah, we're just like a bunch of tomboy chicks growing up, all like a year or two years apart, just like playing in dirt and like in the street and street hockey and just like everything. Um, then where did you where did you end up going to college? 
I went to Wesleyan University. Uh-huh. That's in Connecticut. It is in Connecticut. Middletown. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you major in there? Um, cognitive science under psychology. Okay, cool. What is that? Cognitive know, science I'm not smart enough to know is the study of the mind. So, okay. you know, like neuroscience is the study of the brain. Uh-huh. And this is like the science of the mind. Um, and for me, it was just, I still study it to this day. Like, every, like I mean, you've seen me. Like yeah. on like Saturday mornings, I'm like, hey guys, oh my God, like neurocinematics and CogSci and yeah. how we can relate it to film. And for me, it was so cool to take all these classes in um, memory and film and how memory can be portrayed in film and kind of really investigated through the power of like language and imagery and then for me continuing those studies and going into like neurocinematics um, which is study of film on the brain for me it's really interesting like the actual physical impact of when the brain yeah so like yeah like through fmri imaging and like intersubject correlation levels and like studying eye movements and like clockwork orange yeah I thought it was like clockwork orange. No, clockwork orange. Isn't that like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. And so, yeah. And so like those studies like for sure have informed and like transcended to my work constantly, like whether it's in editing a film or my approach. But it's just like, it's just so much more interesting because it creates, I come then from a different avenue and it definitely creates different work, but d- definitely work that's more detail oriented because I'm always trying to bring in all these more experimental techniques to like allow this these studies to like ring through in my work but yeah, yeah. well because that's yeah it's a little non-traditional path to a creative career it isn't but it to me it just I don't know why it makes so much sense it's like how do we like to study human behavior and how we perceive the world and images I mean just like simulating the world in our brain that's the only version of the world we have you know mm-hmm. and so in film or in creative work or in like a campaign, we're constantly then strewing out those images and either creating something new or kind of just projecting that. So like understanding how it's being um, implanted and retrieved and even just built, you know, is just, yeah, for me, it's like obvi. I feel like everyone should have to have graduated it before I trust your copy. (laughs) But it is a figuring out like how to tap into nostalgia, how to tap into the different feelings and emotions and, and how people react to those. 100%. Yeah. And not even that. It's like even just with color, even with just textures or throwing sounds. I mean, nostalgia is so interesting and memory for me is so, so powerful. And yeah, in each of my pieces, I definitely always like bring, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's awesome. I think my whole life I'm just going to be like constantly just like flirting around. How do we do, how do we, but Yeah. It's cool. Like it's cool. So wait, then how did you, what was your, because you go to school for cognitive science and what was the other one? Well, Psychology? I mean. Like how do you, how do you end up, you know, yeah. to getting to this point? Like what were your first jobs out of school or like. Well, I was like, I, I was, um, I worked in the dark room, which I love because like I did the hours where no one would come. Mm-hmm. So I would just like have a good time. I would just like blast music and develop my own photos and like be studying and like would take meetings like, hey, come down here. Um, and I think, room, yeah. yeah, just like darkens. It's my, it's my HQ. And so um, I think that like I started creating these frames and these images by myself and really meditating on it. I mean, I don't know if you ever developed any film, but it's super mm-hmm. meditative. And I'd really just start to investigate my, my point of view in those in those dark hours. Uh-huh. And then leaving Wesleyan, and then I b- took a bunch of film classes, like so many. I kind of almost didn't graduate my major. They're like, Elena, you need to like stay on, stay on course here at Cogsai. Because I was like, film, so <laughs> interesting, scoring, music, and film. I mean, that class just blew me away. And then, um, and that, yeah, like leaving Wesleyan, you know, you come from such a creative community and so much inspiration, and you really come geared up to like change the world. 
And then I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Everyone's like science, you know, they see your, your major and they think that that's what you're going to do. Yeah, you're going to do research or something. Like, yeah. No one does this. Come on. It's just like a, it's just <laughs> an experiment. And then, um, and so I started working in like artist installations and immersive installations. And then, um, and that was really awesome. In, in, New, in New York? Or yeah, for the whole or, gallery. Yeah. It was like, I was like 22, 23. And it was like the first day they opened their doors. And I kind of just, I remember like emailing Jeffrey Deitch. I like guessed his email because he went to Wesley. And I was like, hi, Jeffrey. Like, I want to work for a gallery. He's like, it just closed yesterday. Uh, but we're like, you know, my gallery director is opening off an offshoot. You can work for them. And I was like, cool. And then um, interned there. But I was also, I did that a lot after college. I was just like, guess people's emails. I remember I guessed the like, managing account director at McCann Erickson uh-huh. and I was like I want this job as like uh assistant creative director like <laughs> so I didn't know what I wanted to do but yeah. I knew I wanted to do something in like art and ideas or content I just knew I wanted so you're to just create, hitting people up randomly hitting people up. Yeah. and I remember they're like who are you how did our guess our email how did you guess our email and come in immediately that, that was like a big thing back in like the the late 2000s where and there was websites to figure out how emails were structured and stuff. And usually, if it's first dot last name, it gets pretty easy. But other people are not like that. I know, so and they were just like fifty so, different yeah. combinations. No, but. it was just like one or one or two. Yeah. And they were yeah. like, "You are the yes, come in." And then they gave the job to like a thirty year old. But it's cool. <laughs> and so then you worked at Whole Gallery, and then you had different yeah. And then like I just like kind of jumped around a lot. I just jumped around a lot, and yeah. then um, and then I did one installation with Jr. Actually, mm-hmm. we were just talking about covered the time yeah i mag and um and i just remember like having all these ideas when i was working the artist and like the good kinds you know mm-hmm. a lot of people can have the bad kind. no i'm just kidding <laughs> and i remember just being like all right does this mean that i should create my own stuff and not facilitate artists so then i kind of moved around met some people new york you know and then i started working for this smaller shop and i started making content we did this absolute x campaign that won like this summit series award and that was really cool when I was like 23 and a half, 20, you know, some, right. su- still super young. And I was like, oh, I'm like leading an idea this young that's like, that actually was executable. This is cool. Yeah. And then I just really developed, I started to realize like I need to sharpen my craft and I really need to understand what I want to do and dedicate myself to it. And I made a music video and that was my first film. And it was just this wild ride. I remember calling my friends. We're in this like punk band, Japanther. And I was like, Riley, how do I make a music video? And this is before, like, I feel like the internet really had all the answers because it was truly my, like, grad school. Yeah. Thank you, YouTube. I love you. And I remember calling him and he was like, you got to make a treatment. I'm like, what's that? And, like, Google, like, barely had anything. And he was like, all right, this is what you got to do. And, oh, my God, that treatment was hilarious. And then, yeah, I made a music video. And then, you know, it's just, like, I was through my career, like, started working at the mill. Um, and that's where I got, like, a lot of my... A lot of like my education, whether in like production or post or the mill plus and creating original content and just learning under these ECDs and these CDs that would just sit with me after hours. And I was just like learning in design through them. And yeah. I just got really sharp at design and really sharp at copy. And I just like, you know, just being around good, talented people that were willing to take the time. to help Yeah. Them. And at yeah. larger agencies, they do have like a little bit more time, I think, than smaller shops. And I was realizing that because for a while I was like fighting going to like a bigger a bigger company because I felt like I'd get lost. But I eventually left there because my ideas were a little bit risky and they really challenged what they were doing because I thought that they could do better work. Um, and then, yeah, I left there and then went to another agency, was head of content and all of creative there. And then I went freelance. Yeah. And how long ago was that? So that was in 2016. I like really went fully freelance. So fully. Only, yeah, only two years ago. Yeah. And um, I remember just being like, 
we were making a lot of content. I just came off that ASAP Rocky project where I did this experiential for his New York Fashion Week. And it was like two-parter. It was amazing. We did sound and this and that. And it was so fun. And I loved working with everybody. And But overall, the agency, I just didn't, wasn't really feeling challenged or like that supported. But they were awesome. And I was under this amazing CD, Brody, and you know, this ECD, Brody. And he was just like great. And I kind of just felt like I was seeing all this content that just didn't speak to me. And I, mm-hmm. I'm not... I don't know. I'd rather do it instead of complain about it. And I just was festering. And I was like, we're missing a mark. And especially for sports, I was like playing a lot of sports then, especially in like starting to play with new teams. And I just remember being like, none of the content that's coming out right now speaks to me. And I'm I'm your I'm your audience. Like I'll buy yeah. Nikes. I'll buy Adidas. Like I'm I'm it. Like mid twenties urban female. Yeah. <laughs> like hit me, you know. Yeah. And I was like, all right, like screw this. And then that's when I made Downtown Girls Be Ball. So. Yeah. So that was just came that was just a personal project that came out of your own desire to make something that felt like it spoke to you and people like you. Yeah, and I was just kind of like um I think that a lot of I mean we can go in here, but I think that a lot of content um I think like the cinematic portrayals of the female have been really stunted and whether it's because they're like mystified or beautiful and glowing this and you know just like not hearing their dialogue not hearing their point of view not kind of capturing a mindscape of where they're at or um I mean riding on male permission into sports or they're always like kind of like the backup dancers if you will Mm -hmm. and so I think that um female athletes are still really unfamiliar territory and especially in like the last 15 years that we're still kind of figuring out like who they are and what they look like and as much as people think that they're woke or you know they're trying to portray the female in a really active lens I think that we're still promoting the male gaze of them Mm. and it's just it's a really intricate process and whether it's the narrative or the lens or you know this gaze um, I just think it's like a territory we all really need to like spark conversation in and um, I think that the female just needs to be way more of this active protagonist and this like siren and And more dynamic Dynamic, yeah. Like she can be female and masculine in one. She could be um, like laughing or spitting or sweating or braiding her hair. It doesn't mean she's not a badass athlete. Like I think that like people forget like the femininity or any gender really. It's just wildly complex. And I think that too much, uh, you know, commercial brands are, it's risk, it's money, right? So if they're going to risk and they're not going to do something by the book, it's, you know, they're losing money on it. And so potentially. And I think that that really halts them from taking realizing that they're making content that little young girls, young women, young men or trans, whoever um, is watching. And if we're constantly seeing this safe imagery, that's just not a reality, honestly, in so many ways. um, Yeah. We're just not educating people and not opening them up and they can't see themselves in the world and that's not going to make them feel good. And I don't know. I think it's just really important to like mirror back into the world. A lot of these things that content is specifically, um, pivoting away from. Yeah. Instead, so instead of going and trying to speak so broad that you miss everybody because you're just making assumptions about people and who they are and uh, getting into the nuance and the niche that maybe only small, speaks to a small segment, but it's really going to resonate with those people who maybe don't see themselves and, and, the, and their voice and their uh the whole the whole picture of like who people are. The whole picture. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, but also like Donna Gabriel was wildly uh, accessible. Like I got so yeah, many so, like, DMs for people who haven't seen it and we'll put it in the show notes, but like what was, if you could sum it up and, and, and also curious about if, as you're doing and creating film and content through the female gaze, what decisions are made differently than maybe what people typically do? I want to give away my secrets. Oh, well, you can. 
Just <laughs> um, I mean, Down It Goes Beale was a video portrait um, on a female athletic team, a basketball team in downtown New York chronicling their summer games. And for me, it was about capturing uh, the female athlete in a new gaze and the female gaze specifically. And it wasn't kind of, it just carefully didn't, mystify the female and instead it demystified her in rooting her in raw dialogue and for me the whole film was like the mindscape of the contemporary female athlete and how it could be in all of her complexities can be intertwined within that and so I use a lot of like psychoanalytic techniques and experimental sound design there's about like five original tracks by Ricky Acid that I kind of wove into one a lot of vortex sounds of, mm-hmm. of their voices, but a lot of duality. So for me, it's like you would hear something about people think I'm aggressive and then like laughter or it would be um, a shot of her braiding her hair and then VO about her dad and remembering this book he gave her on how to make a free throw. And then it'd be like, I don't know, I just want to have snacks. I don't really want to play sports. And just, <laughs> just like this seriousness versus non-seriousness yeah. and this these these memories of nostalgia, like we'd weave in, we, me and my team, um, <laughs> And like, I would just look to weave in things um, to promote and just like really platform also nostalgia in an interesting way. Like um, when you're playing sports, when you were younger playing sports, at least for me as a burbs kid, you play sports until dark. And as you were, you would hear cars go by, you would hear the the ice cream man come by and you mm-hmm. may take a little pause. And, um, and so for me, it was like weaving in all of these sounds of not only the city, but a personal note. A lot of us came from suburbs and mm-hmm. outside the city. And so like weaving in these ice cream sounds and water and like um, the hydrant flowing and laughter and cars going by and just like heat. And the sound of the basketball on the pavement, but like hot pavement. And that's a different sound. So it really was capturing all of these sounds, all of their voices, all of these different tracks and creating kind of like this, this sound design that could really – capture that and especially in um like against this imagery of body hair and um like laughter versus seriousness and competition Mm -hmm. and and showing up for each other and what that looks like so there was a lot yeah competition and support at the same simultaneously exactly yeah i was watching it this morning and just seeing those themes run out and and it does have a very dreamlike state very like memories and and when you're remembering things it's not always linear so like having these little things speckled in like this morning on the way uh on the way here i was standing on the train platform at union uh union square and i just heard birds chirping <laughs> and i was like where like in like, coming from sometimes. yeah and, and it was just and i heard birds chirping and it just brought me to a place like so beyond being on this sub, you know, this hot subway platform, and just having those little cues, it could be just one thing that triggers exactly um, a specific memory, which is you know I think you did a really nice job of bringing all that together. Yeah, and it was just fun to also like surface a line, so we would create this vortex of sound, but then like I would kind of bring one up to the surface, kind of like float up and then float back and float up and float mm-hmm. back, and for me that's for how much I've studied the brain, this recall and retrieval of memories or thoughts, they kind of float like that. But then some of them kind of stay there, you know, and then they really get put back into the hippocampus or you you have these moments where like they're not all the way in, they're kind of still there. And so I was really doing that. So it got pretty cerebral. But what I love about it is like people feel like it's super commercial. And I remember we were going to originally put it maybe in Vice Sports. And they were like, oh, it just reads like a Nike commercial. 
And I was like, I remember laughing so hard. I was like, wait, what? Like, I yeah. just made the most experimental piece, like, ever. But I did intentionally try and make it, like, quite accessible. You don't want to yeah. make something just so far right where then you just, you know, people can't enjoy a piece and a statement. Or they're just confused. So, like, having it be something that they, they can just appreciate and be immersed in. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's about the power of the non-narrative. And that's what a lot of my work is about. It's like saying a statement within a non-narrative. And I think that's a lot of how we live our life, you know? It's like yeah. we're... We're constantly going through our own stories, but it doesn't mean that it has to have some some climax or some narrative arc. It could just they could just be who they are, mm-hmm. and and the experiences can just be. They don't need to be a part of a bigger. I guess they are part of a bigger thing because they're part of your right. Life. But naturally ambiguous. You know, yeah. everyone will take something else from it, and that's what I love about a lot of my work. I'm always trying to have a certain degree of ambiguity without trying to not say something and riding that line. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then, so that was a personal project, and it got picked up. It was, yeah. but it was like Nike kind of, um, they sponsored our team. And I remember just like hitting them up. And I was like, guys, please, I just want to finish this film. Like I like meaning I do the finishing, the post. And I was, I was like running, I was, yeah. I mean, I was like freelancing and hustling, doing this film. And I really want to push through. I'm like, do you guys have any money? Like we all wear Nike throughout the film already. And I remember my one friend, Rocky, who was at Nike at the time. I mean, God bless his soul. He literally like found like money in other budgets. Sorry, Nike, if you're, if you're hearing this, yeah. found money in other budgets. Yeah. And then um, like just like gave me this check to like just finish it and um, and just like pay everyone in the crew like a little something. And it was just like felt so good because no one thought they were going to get paid anything. And I just really pushed that check to everybody and was like, thank you for your time. And And we finished it up. And it just was like one of those moments where someone believed in you in the inside, mm-hmm. like on a corporate brand, and they yeah. just didn't have to. Like, we're just, you know, we're homies, we're not super close. But ever since that moment, like, he knows how much I was so grateful for that because from that point forward, um, yeah, a lot of my work just, like, changed. And then Nike, because it was a kind of Nike, and you can tell, mm-hmm. uh, it was passed around to Nike Internal, and it just, like, blew up. Like, Nike hit me up a month later, and then we made the next film because they were just like, this is perfect. This is exactly the content we want to be making. Yeah. So it was cool. Well, it's nice also to see something that you just felt the need to make because you didn't see a space or anybody representing you or people like you and then going creating that and having it resonate with a brand is pretty huge. I mean, they're smart, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're smart. Hashtag Kaepernick. Yeah. Uh, but so then that led to an actual like commissioned piece. Yeah. Uh, locker Room Talk. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, basically it was interesting because they were like, Elena, just make it again. We love it. We love it. You do it again. <laughs> and while they were doing this, um, Trump was just elected. And we were in a really dark place, me and just like my crew of girls and just generally yeah, speaking of course. as a nation. <laughs> and um, so I was like, guys, I'm not making the same piece. You know, that was then. That was summer. We we're having fun. You know, maybe who knows? Yeah. Ernie, who knows? And I mean, basically. Yeah. And so I was like, and also, I don't make something t- twice. Yeah. And uh, so we all went down to the Women's March and I had this idea for a film to make somewhat of a political statement. Um called Locker Room Talk. And it was right after all the locker room banter from, yeah, yeah, Trump was out. And I wanted to make, I wanted to basically seize the opportunity to use a global brand and their global audience to say something that's like actually informative. Like if we don't, how should we talk to each other? How should we support each other? How do, what is intersectional feminism? But then ride this line where, you know, it captures the emotional climate of our minds during that time which was like a little bit more somber but still like yo let's rile together like we don't give up we don't Mm -hmm. and it was girls in actual athletes and artists and intercity like it was a bunch of different um basketball players that we ended up 
playing with and shooting and it was them actually in a locker room having locker room talk mm-hmm. which is quite natural and it was them like laughing and hanging out but also like chatting about what's going on and chatting about like what what plagues them right now in the workplace or with men or how people women talk to each other the whole thing yeah. and I just really wanted to capture a really safe. I wanted to create like a really safe environment for them too, and that was as a director a really important, um, a really important note for me. It was just like capturing and creating this moment that felt very organic and really safe, and letting them know like if you have something to say, this is the time, and I'm not going to edit you out. Like yeah. I'm here to support you, and I just wanted to kind of have my hands off of it and give them a voice because a lot of these women were activists and you know, tech CEOs and are, you know, part of these male dominated industries or have been involved in like, you know, that locker room banter type of environment. Yeah. And so I wanted to create an environment like, oh, you want to hear what real locker room talk is? Like, this is what we do when we talk in a locker room. And, you know, we don't maybe always get so political, but like, so it was nice to walk away from the film with um, actual information of like, the, like how to support each other or like it's okay if this plagues you and it's okay if you fall or, yeah. and so for me it just t- it hit a lot of touch points and yeah so locker room talk kicked off their forces female air force one campaign and and it was yeah that was that was a really beautiful moment it came out on women's day on, in 2017 oh that's awesome well and i think there's some there's other themes that uh are relatable for anyone too like there was just one moment in the film where uh, one of the women says about shooting a basketball and she, she likes basketball because you can fail and in life you're expected you fail once and you're supposed to give up or yeah. you fail once and you know and, and that's it and it's like no basketball you fail constantly yeah and that's like she was know, like in basketball you make constant mistakes yeah. but in the real world everyone expects yeah. us to give up after one try or something yeah and then we put an image of someone making a shot while she says that yeah. because it's also like if you can perceive that you will make a basketball or you can perceive like you will get up you know, you will. So it was also about like the power of image play there too. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's great. And so then it seems like you have a lot of uh, like self-initiated projects. Like you have a tenacity to to get shit done and make things happen, um, which is I think really admirable. Like, and I remember talking to you when you were going down to Mexico and uh, was it last winter, like a year ago? It wasn't a year ago. What are we in? Uh, yeah, it's October, no, November. November tomorrow. It was in You're January. Not to a podcast, but yeah, November. Okay. Uh, but it was January, so almost a year ago. But you were down there, and then you just got introduced to to somebody, and you were like, "Oh, here's a whole new project." Yeah, that's next how everyone's doing. Yeah, everybody, that's how life works. You yeah. just walk onto a street, and you're like, "Here's a project." Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I knew I wanted to do um, my next project not on North American athletes. And I wanted to, you know, like as much as I wanted to show diversity through my work and gender fluidity and all these are really important, like topics to frame in film. Um, I knew that we're still privileged, you know, and I was like, I want to it really came from the place of like wanting more accessible role models in my life where it's like a female athletic stories. That's like this new guard of the role model where they're accessible and you feel like you could, you know. Like, hey, maybe I could do that. Mm-hmm. You know, Serena Williams, I love you. God, she's so amazing. God damn it. But, like, those biceps, yeah. like, I don't think I can have a bicep that big. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. But, you know, some other athletes that have incredible stories that we're not hearing about or aren't as, like, you know, accessible to hear about, like, that's something that could truly as, yeah. as much pump me up as Serena Williams. And then I also yeah. feel like I maybe that, like, I, I, seeing, projecting and seeing yourself and the possibility of that as well mm-hmm. is also just equally as, as powerful. So for me, I just like rounding out all the stories that are out there. And so I came, I, I, I was like, where does the, 
where's the origin for me mm-hmm. is of, of sports imagery. And I was like, trading cards, let's do it. I remember when I was younger. Anyway, but how the product started was I hit up my friend. Wait, how did the project start? So I came up with this idea for Trade Your Hair for Mine just because like those that sentence came out of my mouth and I was like, that's the name of this project. <laughs> but I hit up uh, I hit up Dexter Navy. As ideas come about, this sentence came out of my mouth. So that was the name of the project. <laughs> Always. I mean, like copywriting.org. <laughs> so <deep> yeah. <laughs> and I hit up Dexter Navy, who's this director. And I remember I saw him just go down to Mexico and shoot some stuff for ASAP Rocky. And I was like, yo, Dexter, do you know anyone? down there, I want to find a casting director down there because I want to find some teams like before I get there. Right. Because I know that I was only going to go to Mexico for a short amount of time to shoot this and figure it out and just like meet some teams. And I wanted to like round up a few teams. And he was like, this is your girl. And she's amazing casting director, um, Sarah Benjamin. And then she hooked me up with Tanya Nimbilati and then on the ground in Mexico. And she, we, I told her what I was looking for. And it was just super exciting. They, they just loved the project so much. They instantly got it. And it was all women just like working together from the, like from the get-go to the end of this project. And I mean, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever done. And anyway, when I met a bunch of teams down in Mexico City, amazing So teams. all different sports. Yeah, yeah different yeah. sports. I mean, like running, track, field, BMX. And then I, when I walked into the ice hockey rink i remember just hearing they're playing against spain i remember hearing like the echo and the yelling like Viva! and i was like oh my god i'm home <laughs> and i was like this is it and on my way there it's like 45 minutes outside the city center um the the casting director who now is just a really close friend of mine who we just instantly got along with she was like yeah they just beat the men's team they just <laughs> you know they just got further in the winter olympics than any other female team in mexico but yeah like no one really knows we have a hockey team and i'm like what no one knows. like and i remember like leaving that stadium leaving the, the ice rink the ice dome and i was like talking to all my friends in mexico while i was down there and they're like we have a hockey the girls hockey team and it was just like that and i was like all right this is like let's do it for like they also just need to know and yeah. so but yeah, that's how the project started. And then you you went down and you shot them, uh, film and photography. Not in, I wasn't planning on it. Honestly, I was yeah. like, I'm just going to do photography. To be, okay. And I want to do these locker room portraits and these portraits on the ice. And I was with my friend who's director in Mexico, and and I was like, I really want to shoot a film, but I don't want to be like greedy, like content, content. And I was like, I just want it, like, but I have limited time. They actually during the day of the shoot that we were shooting, they played seven games. It was a tournament. And so we had to film them in between the games. And then at the end, they were exhausted. It was like the only time you get everyone. But then my friend, the director, was like, dude, Elena, how how could you not shoot any film? Just capture anything. And then that's when I thought of the idea to make a trailer, like a video portrait on them that poses the question of the team and gathers intrigue. So then the printed trading cards finishes the rest of the story. So it's like digital pulls you out of the digital world to put you into this physical form mm-hmm. of trading and supporting the team because like if you buy the deck the cards proceeds go to the team and so it was, for me it was so interesting to like I'm always doing that and creating um, digital ways to put you back into like connecting with others or support mm-hmm. and so for me it was like also super powerful to just have you know a, a female story in your front pocket just the idea and concept of that is Anyway, but I'm getting off topic. But um, so it's we, all on topic. It's all yeah. on topic. So we ended up shooting the film, and I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to shoot the film exactly how I'm shooting the portraits on the ice, so then we can outro from the cards into the live action. Mm-hmm. 
And we did that, and I loved it, and it all worked. And um, and so yeah, we just shot some really quick footage of them while they were just playing, first of all, and yeah. then um, and then while they were in the ice practicing, and then we just got some really beautiful video portraits. And I remember just interviewing um, one of their best players. Um, God, her story is amazing. Claudia Tellez in the locker room and I just she didn't even like know I was recording I had to tell her after but we just I was like let's just talk and she just told me the whole story of the team and everything that ended up being just like the wisps of VO that are still like kind of open open ended um, through the film but it was really cool to like make a film like with trading cards yeah. <laughs> like in the film the actual cards are in the film and then so yeah and so we actually we shot the f- photographs of them portraits and then the film and then you know just gathered up a lot of information on them and their story and all these questions because I wanted the back of the cards to come directly from their voice and yeah. not ha- be from me and me kind of writing like, about them. Yeah. It's, it's all like, first person yeah. writing about them or speaking about themselves. Yeah. And, and it, the struggle it, and the challenges and all that. And like yeah. the hilarity of it all. And like, you know, just like two, like the two twins, they always hug each other for each game. Like just again, yeah. like the back of the cards for me were very similar. To, it's very similar to all my work where it's like, it's the range of the female athlete. It's funny. It's badass. It's, it's about sisterhood. And most of all, it's about pride for their country which I loved and you know this one amazing player Macarena Cruz said like you know it's a surrealist it's a beautiful country it's a hard-working country it you know um it's a surrealist country it's a country where you fall in love and I just like was blown away and so pulling these quotes and and hearing from them directly and allowing this trading cards not only tell people about a team and you know so you can become fans of these national ice hockey players but also just hearing about you know the culture itself is really really rewarding for me yeah, it was, it was really powerful. I think it, usually in trading cards, it, it's so focused on the sport and the achievement, and and more is about their mindset and and the struggle and and other aspects of their personalities that you're talking about that just made it feel more relatable and tangible and real, which I think is uh, yeah, what and you're hoping to do yeah, and you know, like printing it in two languages was really hard but I knew I wanted to do it, and also just like having actual Spanish in the English versions was like really important for me to do. I mean, the mm-hmm. front of each card and spot UV, like when it catches light, says, say una chinguana, which means like, be a badass girl. And that's on every card. And for me, it's like, just have that card in my back pocket, or my front pocket is just like, yes, okay, all right, uh-huh. they can do it. I mean, their whole story is amazing of how they created the team themselves and defied so much resistance. And now we're just like number one. I mean, yeah, it's like they can do it. We can all do it. Let's go. Let's go, guys. What are we waiting for? Yeah, if Mexican, Mexico women can start their own hockey team, we can Ice do Ice hockey. Yeah, so like, what were some of the challenges trying to get that made and other personal projects made? Because I know you you, you oh hustle it and you're you're constantly like you because know, you can see the outcome and you're like, holy shit, amazing film, trading cards. They have uh, scratch off on it and spot UV and foil and all this stuff and it, it's amazing. But I feel like it's uh, it it doesn't it, it undersells how fucking hard it was for you to that was get that the hardest yeah. project. If, if if someone told me when I was like, Justin, I'm gonna do this trading card series. It's gonna be great. I'm going to like recontextualize the female athlete in the male dominated arena of visual sport and visual territory. We're going to change yeah. all that. If somebody told me <laughs> what I had to go through in that project, I would have like not only turned around, I think I would have like quit like life. I'm like, I'm out, you know, I'm going to just like backstep away from all this. I mean, um, trading cards are expensive, first of all. <laughs> But no, I mean, um, what was the question? Just like, what were some of the challenges to like actually get out in the world? Because I feel like, yeah, yeah, challenges. I mean, just taking on a lot of like you take on a lot of this by yourself. At least you you had some 
you were working with uh, designers. And I think one of the the, the most interesting Anna. points of that pro- project is you worked with Anna. So you had female director, female talent, female designer, typefaces uh, designed by women. And you made sure that like from start to finish, that was like all part of the, yeah. And, and yeah, and part of the, part sure. of the process. Yeah. I mean, I would say that um, some of the hardships, is that what yeah. you're saying? I'm like, ask, let me ask you five times what the one question asked me is. I mean, um, I would say definitely, I mean, listen, my Spanish isn't like perfect. Let's just be honest here. I'm not, I'm Greek Italian. And um, although I've spoken Spanish for, you know, a multi- many years, I'm not fluent. And so just understanding the nuances of what they're saying in a lot of the interviews and uh, during the shoot and like just trying to really um, connect with them, I think is always hard when you're working in two languages for an entire project for six months. That was definitely um, a difficult point, but I would say, um, I really wanted the distribution points of this project to be really considered. So I can, <laughs> I convinced like literally, uh, victory journal to distribute the trading cards with their, um, July issue. Cause they're amazing. And the number one sports magazine in the world, like, hello. And I remember just sitting in their office and I was like, guys, I'm going to make printed trading cards and we're going to do it with you guys. and be this. And it's never been done before. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, it has. And then they brought over to in front of me all of these trading cards and all the, and they're all men or made by men. I mean, actually, they were all men because they meant they yeah. meant it's been done before. Like we've already put, put trading, trading cards. cards yeah. yeah, not even a pack. They did it like within the mag, like yeah. um, like perforated pages, and all of the trading cards and all of the magazines they've done before were of men, or and by men. And I was like, guys, I'm sorry, I'm I'm not seeing the same thing you're seeing. I, I you guys haven't done it yet. And they just looked at me and they were like, God damn it. <laughs> and then I was like, in one month, I'm going to bring back trading cards for you. And the first, the first deck. This is before I went to Mexico. This is before I even knew the team. I just, yeah. I had this pitch deck. I sent them and really discussed like the language and how different it's going to read like a story and it's going to be emotional and the, the gaze. And they were like, sure, Elena, sure. And I remember just like uh, a month and a half later, just putting the deck on the table and it was probably the best moment of my whole life. But, um, like basically I would say the difficult points was getting people like victory journal and just anyone, you know, to like believe in your idea. I think getting the team to really like believe in the idea and kind of get it, even though it was like, that was maybe a little bit easier, but, um, getting funding for the trading cards, designing the trading cards. Um, all these things were extraordinarily difficult. And then having people understand what this was. And I remember hitting up ID magazine, who's been a huge supporter of my work being like, I made these trading cards, guys. And uh, it was, yeah, just like, just trying to, it's always the problem that I run into is explaining why it's important, where, why it's an important story. Mm -hmm. And then also getting Mexico ID to write about it in, in, in Spanish, in their native language, in their native press, in their native city, their home city. So they would see it. Yeah. So they can be like, Hey mom, look, I'm so great. And so that was really important to me. So for me, I just take on a lot, I think, because I don't want any point of the project to be unconsidered and so for me um it was a lot to make sure that this design was something that did not echo male visual like dominated language in sports you know i didn't want it to feel like tough and masculine and i um and masculine i didn't want it to feel over like feminine it's just like really girly image and they're like wearing makeup but i also wanted them just to be them and some of those girls are very just like you know just sassy and awesome so for me it was um it was definitely all of those distribution points and the design points in the process, you know, finding a printing house that 
just like I mean, we yeah. did crazy stuff with it. So yeah, I would say those were a lot of the difficult points. Um, it seems like one of the hardest things is getting people on board. Yeah, always to believe in it. And and like, you know, to, to how how far away do we think we are before it's not uh, so hard to convince people that doing something from this perspective or another perspective is is necessary and worth investing in. Yeah, I mean, I think we're pretty, we're still pretty far off. Um, I think that people are more open, and luckily, we have like great brands like Nike and others as well that are like, "Hey, just, oh, just do it." <laughs> and I mean, Nike. I ended up like going up to Nike women, and I was like, "Guys, I want to make these trading cards, and like, let's talk." And they were huge supporters and just like helping the process be pushed through. And for me, it was like. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I think that we're pretty far off. I think that we have a lot of work to do in realizing that a creative idea that is a little bit risky or has um, like maybe one or two or three mediums within it, I think that people need to stop seeing this as this like red alert and seeing this as like, yo, this is genius. I mean, if it is. But I think that um, it becomes a detriment as an artist or a creative director or as a director to work with multiple mediums now. Um, especially in one project, even though, you know, many projects I do for agencies, you know, are like out of home and ad and, and a film and content and photography. But yet when you do it on your own, it becomes all of a sudden this huge question mark. But what I was so lucky is that Trade Hero for Mine and this trading card series and the film and the project and it's just a story. For me, I almost felt like a journalist mm-hmm. um, was ev- like everyone got it like the audience wants to be challenged they wanted it to be in two languages they wanted to learn a little bit of spanish well they i mean I, like the overwhelming feedback i got from that project just totally overrided i mean um like months of no's like months and months and months of shut doors and no's and you're crazy or what are you doing like why are you doing this and so that like that moment of everyone just like just yeah the overwhelming feedback and support and people trading cards and uh, just yeah it, it it definitely helps the process of getting a lot of no's and no one really understanding why you're like I remember my parents were like Alina you're broke why are you going to Mexico like are you like what are you I'm like guys just don't worry just, just like just like <laughs> look the other way guys it'll amount to something and they really thought I was like crazy they were just like you're going alone you never like what are you doing I mean I've been to Mexico City a bunch of times and I was pretty familiar with the city so but I mean yeah, it's definitely, uh, yeah, it's, I think we're, we're hopefully getting closer to getting more people to invest and support and understand these ideas, but I don't, I don't know if it's going to be so close in this lifetime. How, how much are you fueled by that doubt of people, of your parents? Uh, like, do you kind of expect mm. that going into a project or is that a, is that a, a benchmark that you're on to, you're on the right path? Oh my God. I definitely, first of all, like I always go into each project with like a ridiculous amount of optimism. <laughs> As, I'm like, always oh, like, guys, this is going to be, this is going to be that easy. It's easy. This is going to be great. We're going to have so much. This is going to be awesome. And I'm, and, and I know I'll get no's. Like, that's obvious. I know I'm, how much work I've done over the, the past like six years. I know, but like my optimism, it just never, it never dies. Like it never, like just like never, even after this really difficult project I'm on right now, like I'm, I'm so excited to make my next film. And yeah, I'm definitely, bru- you're always bruised up, you know, from other past projects. But I mean, I wouldn't say I'm fueled by the nose and the doubt, but I definitely think that it is a barometer for I'm on the right path usually as like for Elena Prasco, my ideas. If someone's like, you know, I don't see it. I'm like, oh, perfect. This is awesome. I'm definitely making something new, fresh and great and challenging people. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because if, if people get it, and you're like, oh, it's like a this and a this, and they're like, oh, yeah, I can see that. Then you're like, oh, Sometimes, but when I was familiar. like, yeah, I mean, but when I was like, it's like the, when I was trying to sell this idea to just to get like support or people involved, I was like, it's, a, it's like the cool running story, but, you know, Mexican women. And they're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, that was the cool because like, sometimes you do have to, you know, your role as a director or creative yeah. is, yeah, is like pulling these references and being like, it's a combination of all this, but it's going to be different. So also I always try and have people on board with me, um, or people that I'm approaching, especially for passion projects, definitely are the kinds of people that think outside the box and they do, I mean, they do risky shit, you know, that we're, we're not around for a long time here. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. But that's got to get hard when you're the audience or the opportunity of people to collaborate with that see that and are willing to take those risks, it's, especially on the brand side, is very small. The brand side is small. It's, it is really small. And it's, re- and it's even smaller for, I think, women that are coming to the table with these ideas. I mean, yeah, you lo- it's, it's, it's rough. It's rough. I'm going to like paint that landscape. It gets rough, especially in sports. Um, I think that so often I'll walk into a room and it's all men on a sports project. And I'm the only woman. And it's just like, why are you here? Um, or it's like, we have this idea, but can you, I mean, it's tough. Especially like, yeah, I mean, I have a lot to say about that. Okay, it's just, say it. I mean, it's just hard. <laughs> the amount of people that reference my work, which we all do, P.S., obvious, yeah, yeah. obvi. But I mean, the amount of people that put my work and it's about 80% of their treatment or their pitch deck to a brand, 80%, like stills from my work or this or that. And they don't bring me into the room and they don't hire me as a creative. Um, they don't bring me on the next one once it's awarded. Is It's really tough. And that's the one thing that really strikes a chord with me. That if you're going to be copying or referencing or whatever, being inspired by, yeah. if you're going to be inspired by someone's work, just like have them be in the room. You know, it's like uh, bring them on to bring them in the conversation. Uh, they've done it once or twice or three times. They can probably do it again. So and for me, there's a really big problem with women's reels not being robust enough as 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 men's reels. And especially oh, I'm talking about things that are not in fashion or beauty or mm-hmm. um, things like tech, science, sports. And yet it's really difficult to get those jobs as women because you don't have as much work with major brands under your belt or major campaigns or broadcast. Or, yeah. um, and so for me, it's like there's such a disconnect. It's like um, they're not they're, – they're being thrown in the bidding process like a bone, you know, let's get a woman to bid on it um, in the bid. You know, but I think that – it's just a really difficult and intricate and um, just like a hard landscape that we really need to look at, especially if you're a female working in sports in, in, you know, on, the, on the brand or agency side as well. And so it's like get them in the room, have them in the conversation, have them weigh in, like hire them, pay them, like let's go. Let's, let's, like, they can do it. They have, they have the capacity. And so I think that it's really important and I've been blessed with so many amazing agencies that have believed in me and so many production companies that have believed in me. I'm like, oh, she can do this. But I, I definitely still see the disconnect and how many jobs women lose especially in those in those um, categories of film yeah. and content and just advertising in general. And even as a creative director, because I do so much creative direction, like just being brought in when, you know, it's the same thing. It's all dudes working on it. And it's just, it'd be nice to see a shift in the future. And if I can like help with that in any way, and if my work and my like, how much I'm dedicated to, towards making good work and like collaborating willingly with everybody, 
Um, I think that like, if I can do anything to help that I, I will, you know, but I think that, yeah, it's like, it works to our detriment yet. We can't get in the right. It's like, it's like a hard process. Well, it's, but. Yeah, you, you can't be, you can't be making better work or be part of the conversation if you're not invited to the conversation to start with. So then we're forced to do personal projects because it's like, oh, you, you don't think I could do it. So I'm going to go do it. And then it's, you know, it takes how many months or, or it doesn't take that long, but it takes how many of your funds and it, yeah. and how many or people. turning down other projects because you have to finish this exactly. one. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, 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 everyone does this, by the way, this isn't like some plight of just my own but i think that this sector no one talk like this exact problem especially um no one talks about yet like i have people knocking on my door all the time being like can you do this like tampon or like this beauty or you know and i'm like i i just want to do like sports <laughs> and tell and tell different stories that you're not expected to tell yeah maybe, i mean yeah. for sure it's like yeah it's yeah. definitely just not sports it's like it can be any kind of um yeah it can be any subject but yeah, definitely just like things that I would say, just trying to just veer off of women doing aesthetically minded things, you well, know, because we're more than that. Well, how do you get, if you keep going to these meetings or you're not going to the meetings and uh, how, how do you pep talk your way and keep the optimism going when you know this is going on or you get a meeting and they're talking to you in a way that's patronizing and, uh, you know, or stealing your or being inspired by your work but not hiring for it? Like, how do you how do you keep it up? Like, do you have a, a network of other female creatives or directors that you lean on? Uh, yeah. Mentors? Or, I mean, yeah, the like, art of the pep talk. Yeah. Like, I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's also relates back to what we're talking about, Cog's Eye, you know, like the power of language and learning and just kind of always studying human behavior since a really, since a young age, um, especially in sports. Like, I remember being younger and just watching how people compete. Like, I was like the nine year old staring at the clouds. And then also playing really well at sports and then also just watching people compete. I was just like, all, you know, it was like both sides of it. Yeah. And so for me, the art of the pep talk is also so interesting because like I know how much language can influence our own selves. And um, just like this, oh man, language is wild. It's just crazy. Anyway, that's a whole thing. But like <laughs> um, I would say like for me, when a lot of these things happen, you really just got to brush it off and you just got to, I mean – there's this awesome quote that's like, um, a little madness goes a long creative way. And I think it's, um, it's Franz um, Messerschmitt. I think he's like this German-Austrian sculptor. He had this like psychotic break and, and made these amazing sculptures that were just badass. Anyway, I'm reading, I'm reading this book, uh, The Age of Insight by Eric Kundal right now. And this, it just, it, first of all, everyone should read this book. It blew my mind and is continuing to do so. But this quote by him, a little madness goes a long creative way is really, really powerful to me, and it's true. And it's, for me, madness can mean, like, a lot of different things, but um, I think that it can be maddening or frustrating mm -hmm. when those things happen, but if you definitely don't take that and put it into your work, um, you're losing an opportunity there. So yeah. in that frustration or in that lacking or just wanting to be, it's just, like, use that as, like, as truly a mechanism um to be even more dedicated and to just never you don't give up like that's just never an option and so it's just like keep defining your craft i mean women i think truly have to be 10 times better and work 10 times harder and i mean i think that yeah i'm just like a fighter you know so it just kind of like it stays with me and it also just makes me always um really cognizant of giving other people a chance um that maybe didn't do something you know that maybe are not the, the most experienced as something mm -hmm. or have you haven't worked with yet. And I constantly am taking those risks and the people that I'm collaborating with and the payoff is really great. So, you know, it, it just teaches you lessons and, but yeah, for sure. I'll definitely like reach out to some people in my community or, 
um, friends. And yeah, there's definitely like a degree of mentorship that um, I can tap into that's really awesome. But that's also always constantly formulating, you know what yeah. I mean? Like as you grow and as you, what you're doing, like which hat you have on for this project, there's like a different network that you can hit up. Well, and also I've noticed in the past year, you've relied on your, your Instagram uh, community too. You, you get, you get some like real honest talk on your, on your stories. And uh, do you find that helps you in those, like those low I just moments? I feel like I really found my medium in Instagram stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that Instagram is hilarious. Um, you did tell me at one point that Instagram is all bullshit. Yeah. What do you mean? Of course. But then like, so, so then what's the balance when you, you're trying to be real or sincere or, or vulnerable on there? Got to always do balance, baby. And what is that? Is that bullshit or is it real? What do you think? You know, the answer to this question. I mean, for me, <laughs> I just know that like people don't share enough of their failures on Instagram. And that's what I'm saying about the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely share my failures on Instagram and I'm always trying to ride that line. Like how much is TMI and how much can I say something that people can be like, Oh my God, me too. Um, I feel, I feel really similar or this or that. And, um, and I just constantly are, I'm just trying to be like also more humble. I think that people like ride behind these perspectives and the, this point of view and this, you know, this lens and this is my art. And, and I think that just being humble too and being like, Hey, we're also figuring it out or we're also experimenting or a lot of people help with this, or this was done completely by myself and it was really hard and awful. Um, it's really important. <laughs> yeah. And so I think for, for, um, how, what was your, what was your question about Instagram? Yeah. Just about like how, how do you balance that realness and, and yeah. The bullshit that's so yeah, I think that just like being human, but also realizing that like how much you want to bring these people in your life, you know? Um, cause you don't know a lot of these people, but I have been blessed in my Instagram following literally. Uh, it seems like the world always knows when I'm having like a really bad day and I just get this message. I got this message the other day. I mean, can I show Can I read it? Sure. It was like I literally was crying or something about something, you know, just like crying or something. So I was having a really hard day. Yeah. PSA crying is okay. Did you know this that the tear ducts on women are smaller genetically, biologically, physiologically than the genetic, than the tear ducts on men in men? So, like, we can't well up and swallow our tears as easily. They stream down faster because our tear ducts are literally smaller. Beat that. I'm going to do a commercial on that. No one take that. Okay, guys, I'm going to do that. <laughs> but like, like, so crying is okay. And also like, we can't well and swallow them up so easily. Anyway, moving on. I mean, I got this. Oh yeah. Just purchase your trade your hero for mindset. Very stoked for it to come in. Choosing what artists to actively support with your money can be challenging at best when you don't have a lot of disposable income and knowing what causes to give to is tricky. So many people doing good, honest work. And then some people, unfortunately not. This type of work, though, is really important. The female lens is so important. Thank you so much for taking this chance, spending your time, spending your energy, spending your funds, and putting the effort and heart to bring this to life. Your work makes an impact. And then, like, the prayer emoji. I mean, like, I've, I've gotten, like, a lot of those over, the, yeah. like, the last few months. I'm not going to lie. And, like, Keeps I mean, going. I'm going to cry. Yeah. It's just, like, was so <laughs> sweet. And, like, just, like, these messages of just being, like, you're, you're hilarious. Your work is amazing. You inspire me so much. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't you stop. And, like, it's, like, the world knows when I'm having a really hard time or 
I'm just going through it and I'll just get like a DM from someone who was like watched something that I did or read something that I did and they'll just send something like that and like it means so much it's just like and I always always try and answer and just be like no you like I peeped, I peeped your stuff you're good you keep yeah. going girl like yeah. call me if you're in New York go get a coffee and so it's like I'm always trying to also give back to them but it just yeah it means a lot and I think that like support of the internet community is this new thing since since uh, MySpace uh-huh. uh, and um yeah. and and it's it's really nice to um be vulnerable with people because I'm I'm receiving a lot of interesting things back that just mean honestly a lot to me and it's also just even the trader for mine it was like I'm Mexican and American and I can't tell you how much this this meant to me mm-hmm. and oh my god I'm like it's just like oh it was just so sweet and um and just you know and like the the guys from Good Sport another magazine they're like Elena I just want to let you know like we all have a lot of work to do in women and sport and athletes and cat and like I have a lot you know we we have a lot of work to do and I know that and I just want to let you know that this really challenged me to remember that and and I just want to say thank you and like we all have work to do and we got to get started and this trade you for my project really made me think and and it was like really powerful and like things like that you yeah. know super simple like it's incredible and I think people also maybe underestimate how good it feels when someone sends you one of those messages and how much you need it. And mm-hmm. and I had someone like send me a message. It was really nice. Uh, and then apologized for, apologize for the fan, apologies for the fandom. And it was just like, no, like I, you may assume that more, I get these messages more. all the time. Yeah. I don't get them at all. So <laughs> I get one and I just have a good cry for about two days. And then I get another one a week later and I have a good cry for how a day. People yeah. not message Justin Genac. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're just so messageable. Am I? Thanks. Um, all right. We got some, a few more questions here. Uh, this has been great. Um, no, not, let's not make it out. Let's keep going. What's his no, name, Mikey? What's his name, Mikey? Marty. Marty? Psh, Marty, stay here all night, my man. Let's he's, go. Yeah, he's fine. We got a cookie. <laughs> we got a cookie. We have the best cookie. Um, <laughs> it's like a brownie cookie. Uh, chocolate chip is delicious. Um, all right. Do you feel you have something to prove? <laughs> I love it. We're both laughing. Yeah. <laughs> You're li- they're laughing. Yeah, I barely finished the sentence that I had the question yeah. Yeah. without laughing. It's like, it's like telling a joke but laughing before you finish the joke. <laughs> All right, Elena Frasca, do yes. you feel like you have something to prove? I mean, do I have something to prove? For sure. I mean, we all have like the little creative in ourselves, you know, that I think we turned off for years or when we were younger, you know, we didn't nurture. And I think it comes from that place too. Like uh, nurturing your inner creative is also kind of like proving to yourself like, okay, yeah, this idea is actually good and then believing in it and then following through with it. I think the one quality that I really do have, I, like I said, it's not good or bad, <laughs> just a quality, uh-huh. <laughs> quality, quality, yeah. is um, I'll do what I say. So if I say I'm going to do something, like I'm, I'm going to do it. And if I say I'm going to make a trade, I'm going to do it. Like I will fight tooth and nail. And so I think that, um, you know, being a woman of your word too is like really – really important and I think that like it's helped a lot in like yeah the proving process and um it kept me going too but yeah I would say I would say I have a lot to prove I do I think that not only just in sport not only as a woman not only as someone that didn't study film you know I didn't go to film school I didn't work under some director I didn't work at a huge production company like under a director or I didn't go to you know RCA or win a young guns award yet (laughs) <laughs> but um but I think that um yeah for sure I have something to prove and it's that like um I don't know that my ideas are really fresh I'm just trying to keep them going you know <laughs> just trying to keep keep it all alive but yeah I think like the thing to prove is that like we could all do better 
that would be the only thing I'm trying to prove is like we are all better. We deserve better. We deserve more challenging content. Uh, we deserve more more women in the room creatively. Put them in the room. Um, we deserve more risk. And and yeah, and I think that we that's just yeah, that's what I'm out here to prove right now. And definitely constantly prove to myself that um, you know, you can make good work and then also make really good relationships along the way. And I think that's like all those things are really important that I'm trying to prove. I yeah. could go on forever, you know? Yeah. Do you ever feel like your ambition gets in the way of your happiness? Well, happiness is en route, you know? Happiness is constant. If you don't work at it, if there's no like, I'm going to just win this job and then this film's going to come out and I'm going to be happy. No, man. I would say that I've definitely like, I've done a good job at finding super small happiness, like moments of happiness and, and small wins. Like I remember the other day, I'm going through this really shit project right now. It's tough. It's, it's, been, it's been really difficult. And, um, you know, it just, it's just a difficult time right now. And I'm just going through some things. I'm really hard on myself in the creative process. And, you know, we all have really good months. We have bad months. That's part of freelancing. Um, we have great projects, rewarding projects. Projects a little bit tougher. And uh, the other day, I remember walking, being like, you know, when I was younger, my t- whatever mid, I would have lo- like, who- I would have loved to be in this position right now, like years ago, mm-hmm. coming in as a CD into these agencies that I've like loved my whole life, and being them being like, come on, Lena, come work on this project, like, you know, being able to do like make a film and have all this creative influence that I've been wanting to bring in from all these this this genre of cinema that no one's really touching. And I would have, lo- I would have like f- died for it, you know. Just would have loved to be who I am today. And I had this moment of just like sincere appreciation. I was just like walking. I almost got like hit by a car because I was like, ah. And um, and I just think that like um, I does my persistence get in the way of my, my ambition get in the way of happiness? Yeah. I think that my ambition absolutely. Um, I think anyone's ambition can really like hijack their emotions at times, and you're like in it and swept in it. And you're ambitious and you're trying and you're, you're, you're kind of like you place yourself in a shitty situation. You're like, now I got to make all these trading cards. What the hell? So it's like it could it could create moments that are not happy or di- more difficult than you. Like I could just coast. You know, I can make a film that's like a one minute film that's kind of easy and beautiful and cool. And like everyone loves it. Like, cool. But um, no, I have to make 500 limited edition trading cards and a film. And it's like, why am I doing this to myself? But I think that no, it does not. It does not get in the way of my happiness. And I think that what you have to do because of that is if you're you're that ambitious or you're that determined you need to absolutely like ride out these these the highs longer you need to keep them with you longer like a really good project or a really good high and and hold them to heart longer don't let them dissipate so quickly and I think that you have to take small wins and even if that you wake up and you got your health and you got some good friends and and your portfolio mm-hmm. and um you learn something from a project then that's a win and that's happy you know you gotta you gotta yeah. take that moment and I think that I've definitely like sharpened that tool over the years a lot so yeah that's a great answer and I feel like uh for me, even in the most challenging moments, it's helpful to remind myself that I'm living someone else's dream right now. Like someone would kill to be working at this agency or freelancing on this project or working at this company or whatever it is and just keeping that perspective yeah. um, is, is really helpful. Like that we're, we're pretty fortunate to be able to do what we get to do. It's so awful. And that's why it's also like use it. That's what that's why I'm so I get like a little bit frustrated so many times when like people pour money into like X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, that's what you did it with. It's like we would kill to be here. Right. So it's like, let's use this platform or let's use our voice. Let's flex. You know, let's let's yeah. try new things, new stories. It's super important. Well, um, yeah, absolutely. What, what excites you these days? What excites me? 
even though you're going through a challenging time with a client and a project? I'm going to make this next piece, if I can, before the football season is over. I don't know. We'll see. I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to say <laughs> do yeah, it. Then right. Who knows? But there's one piece. Well, that, you have a quality quality that says you do. do exactly. That's why yeah. I'm, I'm censoring myself right now. Make sure. <laughs> but there's a piece that I do want to do, and I, I will do, whether it's this season or the next one. There's a piece. Um, yeah, I don't know. For me, uh, just like sport culture and play culture is really interesting to me. And there's one. Oh, I'm so excited about it. I don't even want to tell you guys it. You got to love it, though. It's going to be really good. It's There's another uh, short film. I would say it's going to be like, yeah, like probably like a two-minute, three-minute, and it's going to be like an act one of sorts to uh, to like a lifelong study on competition and play culture, seriousness versus non-seriousness, the comic, and just play in, in our society and what that is. And I not mean, just sport play, just play yeah, in general. Just play. Yeah, just play. I mean, I'm, you, like, I'm yeah. super playful. I'm definitely an incredibly, like, ebullient, person a what a bullion i don't know that word I gotta look it up. <laughs> i'm definitely there's there's no question that i'm a bullion and like really 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 energetic and just like enthusiastic yeah. and i think that um i just always want to i just want to always want to play and i'm a workaholic and i'm working all the time but i think that the balance of that is super important and i also think that our culture right now doesn't set enough time especially for adults you know, like recess and play and like moving our bodies and just releasing and um, yeah, sure, organized play and some pickup sports are cool, but what that means to the psyche and it also brings up points of nostalgia. So yeah, that's what I'm excited about right now is me concepting this piece that I'm, it's going to be a very personal piece, but I think it's still going to be again, like really accessible and experimental, but like really interesting and and yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about that for, that's for cool. sure. I'm looking forward to that. Uh <laughs> This question I always ask, and I, I always feel bad when I ask oh, it. Are, are you afraid you've peaked? Oh, no, I know I haven't peaked. That's not even a question. Okay, cool. like I haven't even, like, hit, like, chapter one, really. Yeah. What's, what's your biggest fear? I mean, a fear is always, that I'm always cautious of, is to never become too derivative, you know? I think that... Once you've lost that, you might as well just come out of the ball game here. Just like take yourself out and just like churning out the same ideas. And I think that when you become really successful, the, the amount of time that you can put in and into yourself as a creative and put your these new ideas in so they can kind of like settle and marinate and like almost pickle, you know, <laughs> like ferment. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> that time will shorten, you know. And so I think a fear of mine is like if and when. Um, you know, my career, um, as it's being, as it's evolving and as I'm navigating it, you know, when you're eventually jumping exactly from project to project, you have no time, um, is making sure that you have that time to keep your ideas really original and fresh and coming from this place. So you don't feel like that well dries up. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's like a fear of a lot of creatives too, but I think that people don't really notice that it's happening when it's happening. Like oh yeah, it's easy to like, yeah. Turning out the same ideas that they've been doing and because the client wants that then, but then it's up to you to really challenge a client and be like, listen, I know you want this, but what if we did this? And so I think that balance is definitely something that in the future I want to be always cognizant of. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's your Achilles heel as a creative person? My weakest point. As a creative person. Dude, I don't know. I think you have to ask people that I work with sometimes. I mean, I would say that, oh, brother. <laughs> 
I was almost going to say, like, I, just, no, I don't know. I mean, my weakest point. I don't know. We all have things that we need to work on. What yeah. do you mean? I don't know. Can we hit me? Hit me like. Well, mine's procrastination. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, you're, I can see that. Your, your nightly procrastinations, too. I mean, <laughs> um, oh, my weakest point. I really don't know. I mean, like I've mi- I have millions of like things that I'm yeah. not good at. I wouldn't say that I'm like, I just like, I don't know if that's, yeah. I think that, um, I get like, I get, how about, well, there, are there I ways got, that I you self-sabotage? How about I, I, um, I get very emotionally involved into some of my work because it's serious. It's like, we're saying some serious stuff here. And I think that, and it, it could, it can be an Achilles heel. And I always have to be like, yo, yeah, remember. like it's a job or Mm -hmm. as much as we're about to say something you know about uh, about really serious topics global topics or topics of mental illness or anything in my work that like we're maybe working on um you always have to be like listen you know we got to like separate church and state and i think that that's something i'm constantly working on because as creatives dude of course we pull from emotion like we're we're pulling from our own experiences like with like any brief we're like okay what did i do you're always pulling from who you know your own experiences and that's innately tied with your emotions episodic whatever it is you know all these memories and so i think that um it's really hard for for creatives to separate emotion and just getting tied to pieces and work and especially if something gets killed or 86 or whatever it is it's so yeah i would say that's my achilles heel is just constantly having that check in point like yo yo don't like unravel the emotions from it yeah but also that's why i think wrapped up in it when you care too yeah yeah and like i think that's also why the people hire me because they're like it'll come from such a place where they're invested in it wholly you know yeah uh, who who makes you jealous? So like, who am I jealous of? Is, is anybody? Is that a proper way to ask? Is that the gra- grammatically or syntactically? I would, like, I would not correct? rely on Justin Genek for gr- <laughs> grammatical grammatic correct correctness. I can't even Cor- speak. Correct correctness. I don't know, man. I don't like that. You got another question? All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any regrets? Yeah. Next question. <laughs> give, give me one. Um, my regret is to not have, to not have nurtured, I think, the inner creative within me at a younger age. I regret that. I think that I really let society and what society was telling me I should be or do or lead me or, um, I, I, I listened to that. I didn't listen to that too much, but I think that um, yeah, I would just say my regret is I really wish I, I like understood how creative I was when I was younger and just nurtured it even more than I think I did. I got to a point where I definitely was like, I woke up and I was like, let's go. We're, we're, we're on it. We're on to something like we're good. Let's, let's go for it. Mm-hmm. But I think that nurturing that creative voice at a really, really young age is super important. And I can't wait to like do that in the future with future generations because well, that's like definitely an regret. regret yeah. What's a what's a way that you can nurture that creative voice, or that you do now, that you weren't doing before? Um, I would say that it's okay. Like it's okay. It's okay to um, to not get it right away. Like if you come, like you kind of with a brief and you're coming with this creative direction, it's okay. You didn't get it right away. Like let it. It'll come to you. Um, things like giving yourself the allowance of failure or a sidestep or a backstep or even just a pivot 
is really important and understanding that there truly is no such thing as you're not failing. You know, life is, we're all going to live here. And, um, you know, you're not failing and not being, being fearful of failure. And I, I'm taking way more risks this year. For sure, each year I'm taking way more risks. And that's been something that's come out of that and telling myself that, like, you know what? Just fail. You're kind of like, everyone's gonna like see you, like, see you, okay, whatever. Like, it's human. Like, yeah. they see me fail at something, like, it's okay, you know? And sure, maybe like it's, you don't feel like you're as higher, but, but like, dude, you're gonna be fine and you're gonna learn from it. And like, those lessons come in eight times harder. So I think that that voice is definitely saying that as you nurture yourself, is like, it's okay. Fails, failure is okay and accepted and like jump from each one without, you know, loss of enthusiasm. Is it, is it hard to give yourself that permission if you're someone that's really driven or a perfectionist yeah. or? It's incredibly hard. What do you mean? I never do any of this. I'm like, I literally just lied. I never did. <laughs> <laughs> I literally have never done that in my life. I don't even know who just spoke. Yeah, no, it's incredibly hard. I mean, sh- whew. yeah, it's hard. I, I literally have like, cr- I like, I have whiteboards all over my room and I mean I think that like just having imagery that you really like look towards and also just like kind of like not like affirmations but like yeah like you have to like sometimes just write and write it out and write out of all the things you're scared for about a project and like I sometimes I'll go into the project or I'm finishing a project and I had to write out everything I'm scared about like what am I scared that's going to happen mm-hmm. and then kind of like look at that be like okay so like how can we help help make that better mm-hmm. how can we avoid that how can we prepare for that and also like what if that happens is it at the end of the world is it the end of the project and so so it's like, yeah, I mean, um, what was your question? <laughs> I like how you start talking and then you question what you're saying. No, you're, it's great. Um, it was just about, um, I don't remember my question now. Yeah, it was a good probably, answer though. Well done. Um, last couple. Uh, what is success to you? Oh, success to me is... I mean, oh, wow. It's like I can see it visually. When you just said that, like, it's in my, I, I wish I could just project this image onto this soundproofed felt wall. <laughs> and so you could see it was a, it was a beautiful picture. I'm just going to answer visually. It's me, like, in a studio, having coffee in a big studio, and knowing all, I, all day I can just go after my ideas. And I'm sitting on a body of work that I'm really proud of, but that I know can always be added to and improved and and pushed and it's like that moment so it's like an in-between moment you know Mm -hmm. and that to me is success and and yeah i would say yeah it's a really beautiful moment i'm gonna jump into that felt wall (laughs) um that's a great answer uh are you happy (laughs) i mean you and i were speaking earlier about this just uh, like just some difficulties right now. This is some project I'm going through, and I mean, psh, I'm like happy. It's so bizarre, man. It's like yesterday I was just found all this like like a, whatever, just frustration, normal frustrations, and um and I was like still like an hour later I was like laughing and like salsa dancing like before my next call. It was like, it's like but like yeah, I had a horrible day. You know, it was like horrible, but yeah, I mean I'm definitely happy because I think that I'm. You're catching me right now at a point in my career where. Um, you know, like starving artists make the best work. I really feel that way. And, you know, fed artists, I don't know if they ever made the best work. And I think that it's kept me really on my toes and I'm truly on my toes, truly. And I'm like really at this point where I'm just, I'm pushing it and I'm trying and I'm, I'm experimenting and I'm trying to go without fear and, um, and I'm learning. And so, yeah, I would say that, um, what was the question? 
Are you happy? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I really go off on tangents like quick. Like we could go off like eighty things right now and we're closing up shop here. Um yeah, I'm def I'm I'm happy. I think that uh yeah. So yeah, starving artists, you know what I mean? Like I think that there's a degree of like excitement. Yeah. When you're thirty, you're going for it, you got a lot to prove. You've but you've you've proven to a lot of people. You know, you walk in a room and they know your work. They fully know who you are, and that's cool as fuck. And then you'll also still be on this brink of like, all right, we got to make stuff. We got to make stuff. And yet it fuels you and you're just like hyped. And I think that's where I am right now where I still am forging my path. But I'm like, finally someone said to me the other day, like, man, you have a really distinct style in your work. And like I wrote a year ago, like create a distinct style. And it was a cool moment. And Someone acknowledge that, yeah. Yeah, and also just like I didn't want to be just any other like director, any other like, you know. And I think in my photography and in my creative direction and in my copy and in my films, this is all starting to now like really start to carve out where it's not. I think people also thought that a female creative, especially or maybe in sports, they'd make something like a little bit like, I'm not going to say who, but like some some work by females that are super stunning and beautiful. And um, But I think that people started to think that that's what it would all look like. Right. You know what I mean? There's only one articulation of that. Yeah. F- and so. Female in sport, yeah. And that's really what she was saying. Like, that's really where that conversation was. And I was like, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm pretty happy right now. That's great. And then uh, how are you feeling right now? I just said that. Yeah, okay, well. Why are you, why are you well, asking me redundant questions? Well, it was, are you happy? Then how are you feeling in this moment? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, like, then why do you say you're so? You're just finishing this. <laughs> Man, I really got to, it's good. You hold me to task all the time. Uh, <laughs> good. You tell me my Instagram sucks. Dude, uh, there was a point yeah. where it was so bad. <laughs> I was like literally, I mean, it was before mute, I think, was an option. And I was like, dude, you're the most creative person I know. And like, this is not going to fly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sit you down and have a little talk. We're going to have workshop it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're getting a little better. Um, <clears throat> sorry, that bone. But um, how am I feeling right now in this moment? Yeah. I'm. F- I'm you asked me this kind of when we sat down. But yeah, I'm feeling, I, I really just wish I could work. I just wish there were eight of me. That's what I'm feeling right now. I just eight, ten. I don't know. I would settle with fourteen. <laughs> Neither here nor there. And um, yeah, I just wish there were more of me. I want to make more work. I want to. So many ideas I want to do right now, and everything takes time. And I also realize that my brain is like really fast, and like I just. I think it. I don't know if anybody could tell after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like sweating or like exhausted at the end, of it or just pieced out like ages ago. Um, I mean, yeah. So I would say I just like really want more of me because like uh, I just have a lot of ideas, and um, it takes time to push ideas through and to get them made. And <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Elena. It's been great. Um, I think the pleasure was all mine. Marty in the back, thank you. Hey, he's got his. Uh, it's Halloween. He's got his Riverdale jacket on. Being a little archy right now. I feel like it's like um, a, a competition of who is the better jacket on. Oh, I think you you probably won that one too. Oh, it yeah. feels so good. Um, well, thank you. Thank you, Justin. Woo. Thanks, Elena, for joining me and bringing all of that energy and optimism and talking shit on my Instagram. Um, if you enjoyed this overshare, please let us know. We would love to hear from you. Uh, you can send us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Overshare Talks. Also, subscribe to ensure you get our future episodes when they're released and rate and review us to help other people discover Overshare as well. Thanks to the team at Second Child for hosting us in their beautiful studio in Droga 5 in New York City. Thanks to our audio engineer, Martin Keating. To Working Out Working Zone, Gabby D'Amato for editing this episode. The Overshare theme song is Let It Grow by Caleb Grow. And if you'd like to learn more about Working Not Working and join as a creative or to hire amazing creatives, check us out at workingnotworking.com. That's all we got for this episode. We'll see you next time.